Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 143. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Forge but were afraid to ask. Presented by Bill White, Brennan Taylor, Lisa Paddle, Evan Turner, and more. No, I turn them both off at the moment. Okay. Yes, okay. My name's Bill White. I'm a, a, a professor of communication at Penn State Altoona, and we're going to book this semester about the forge because I think the forge is an interesting case study in an online discussion forum and has insights for uh, designers and um, uh, game study scholars and communication scholars. And so that's that's my interest. And, and actually, the impetus for this project was a conversation that I had with Michael Michael Miller. Um, and Kat. And Kat, uh, his wife, a couple of years ago, were saying, you know what, no one seems to remember the Forge, right? What did right. they say, Michael? It was, it well, was, it, well, it, well, it's just sort of a forgotten legacy. I mean, it's... it's right. So people yeah. have heard of it, but they don't quite know what it is. So, so to try to preserve those uh, discussions and, and disagreements and points of consensus seems to be a worthwhile project. So that was sort of the impetus for the project. And this panel is, is intended to serve as part of that sort of attempt to figure out what is the legacy of the Forge, right? And so, um, as I've been working, this uh, the slide that's up there is kind of attempt to map out, um, map out uh, what what was the Forge as a, as a historical thing, right? So, there's, so, so the point of the panel, or, or the way this panel will work, is uh, just give me a couple of minutes to talk about sort of this uh, kind of context of the Forge, the history, and some of the ideas, uh, and then we'll turn it over to the panel to talk about or to ask questions of uh, their experience of the Forge, what they learned, uh, and what they think and what they got out of it. And then we'll open up to questions, and to the extent that uh, you have experience with the Forge that you want to share, uh, Buddha, I know that uh, you were there in the gaming outpost days, and so um, that's, worth, that's worth talking about as well. So, anyway. Uh, to begin, uh, the Forge uh, actually started in 2001 uh, as a discussion site, having previously been merely a collection of links for uh, uh, independent game design. Right? So there's this notion uh, that indie games were worth supporting, uh, coalescing, and there was uh, actually a huge, so that was part of the Forge. The other part were these theory discussions that were taking place on now defunct gaming sites called Gaming Outpost that were trying to figure out uh, why do people play? What are the motivations for people to play? And that uh, started out, we talk, they talked about gameism, dramatism, and simulationism. Uh, Ron Edwards wrote an essay called System Does Matter, where he talked about, uh, where he talked about uh, gameism, uh, narrativism, and simulationism. And those conversations turned into the Forge, right? So in the spring, of the Forge. And let me just say, the season model is something that got talked about on the Forge, particularly uh, as they begin to talk about 
the winter of the forge, the forge closing down. Right? So the decision to close the forge was a deliberate decision um, having been made way back in 2005, 2006. Someday the forge will close once we've accomplished our mission or achieved our objective, which was to make it easier for people to create UDAs. Right? So having done that, uh, the decision, uh, Ron Edwards and uh, uh, first Clinton tries back, then Nixon made the decision to, uh, uh, that someday we'll close the forge, uh, then uh, Vincent Baker Will, will, will close it. Uh, and so the spring was, uh, two things happened. The sort of uh, creation of forge culture as a way uh, or an etiquette for talking on the internet and, and the development of the big model that has moved from what was originally GDS and GMS to a bigger sort of more holistic idea about well, this is how role playing works. The idea that that will help us design that. Uh, having uh, that, that work was largely done by 2004, and then there was a move away from theory. Actually, closed the theory forums. Right, this little gray line here, and then that line. Right, a flat line. Right, they closed those forums and did two different things. So theory forums closed. The the two forums for discussing GNS and RPG theory were broadly they closed down. And um, they said, no more theory discussion. The, um, the Indie Game Design Forum uh, was seen as what uh, Ron Edwards uh, posted, uh, posted a message like, you know, for indie game design, it's doing three different things. Let's separate out those three different things. So uh, you see uh, the, the green line that spikes up in the middle of summer, that, that, uh, that thick green line, um, that's first false. Uh, Is this number of posts? What's that? Is the y-axis number of posts? Yes. Okay, thank you. So, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I should have oriented you to the graph a little bit better. Uh, yeah, so the x-axis is time, um, and you see that first period spring, 2001 to 2004, uh, summer, that second period, 2004 through about 2007, uh, the autumn period is about 2007 to 2010, and then winter 2010 to 2012. Right, so those are the four phases of the forge, and then you can see um, each, each of those, each of the major uh, grid lines is about 100 posts, I think. Yeah, 500. 500, 500, 500 posts. Yeah. Right. So that, um, so that you can see uh, this first thoughts forum spiking up quite dramatically as people, you know, want they want they have ideas about games, they want to post, and they want to connect them to their actual play. Hey, let's let's let me design this game. Then the dashed green line that that uh, below it oh. is. Uh, Playtesting, you know, encounters of your game idea with uh, reality, with real players. Uh, and then the, the lowest line, that low line underneath it is um, something called Endeavor. It's more organized attempts at game, uh, uh, game publishing, game design, game activity. Uh, it's a thing like game chefs, discussions, things like that. So, um, so, there was a, so there was a conscious effort to move away from theory towards publication uh, and actual play. And, and, uh, um, so how does actual play inform game design and what I'm calling GNS diagnosis, right? Why are you unhappy with your game? Well, what's not a game? How do we figure that out? Well, we need to figure that out by looking at um, the big model. And uh, so move the slide forward if you can. Sure thing. Figure that out. So, um, uh, so that, that period 2001 to 2004 where the big model was developed, 
that graph is an attempt to represent what the big model was, right? It's this idea that gameplay takes place within a social context, and the reason why people have the table in the first place is important. As friends, as con-goers, um, are some people just there because they're there to make other people happy, or is everyone you know, really engaged in the game? Within the game itself, the central activity is exploration, right? It's exploring something. And that exploration may be fictional, right? It may be related to the setting or the situation, the, or the, uh, the characters, uh, or it may be related to uh, the system, right? The system may be the thing that's, that maybe game mechanical exploration is a thing, system mastery, et cetera. That's something that's, that people do and, and is part of the role playing experience. Uh, where, where GNS, the original sort of ideas that prompted all this fits in, is in the notion of they became creative agenda. It's something called creative agenda. The reasons why people play, where gameism uh, became called step on up, this idea of, of engaging in competition as a player in order to, um, uh, in order to, to feel good about winning, right? Um, narrativism became the idea of a story nap. How do we, you know, what, what people respond to is the moments of um, feeling like a real story is being created as we play, right? Not just looking at it retrospectively, but we're creating a story as we go. And then simulationism became called the right to dream where this notion of fidelity to some genre, some, um, uh, some fictional universe or real world, uh, that notion of fidelity of, of, of really recreating an homage to uh, some beloved uh, fictional universe setting, genre, and so forth. Uh, and so those, those rewards, or what players got rewarded by, uh, could conceivably be different. And the places where uh, people became unhappy were when uh, creative agendas clashed, right? Where what you wanted was different from what other players wanted, and that led to dissatisfaction in some, um, some domain. Um, additionally, additionally, within, uh, within creative agenda, there's this notion of techniques that, I'm sorry, not within. Um, the game itself is manifested in techniques, that is the system, the techniques that can employ to do things like uh, uh, provide adversity <coughs> to characters, to uh, resolve uh, actions that characters attempt. Uh, the notion of stance is, you know, relates to the way that information uh, is shared or not between in-character and out-of-character modes, right? So the idea is, so the notion of stance is kind of an information management sort of thing uh, emerged where um, you consider yourself, your relationship between you as a player and the character is, are you the author of that character? Are you enacting that character? Are you directing that character? Or are you pushing it around on the board like a pawn? Um, but those things only emerge as in specific moments of play. Those we call ephemera, like the idea that you, you see those things, you see system enacted in specific moments of play, and only over long enough cycles of play can you detect creative agenda. It's even worth looking at creative agenda um, because it's not in specific moments of play that creative agenda emerges, but over long enough reward cycle, over long enough cycle of time. And um, that is the essence of the, the big month. Um, so, move forward to the next slide. Sure thing. <coughs> so, with
fact, right, as kind of like a prologue or sort of introduction, the idea that the board is about both game design and game theory. Right, I think we can sort of open it up to our panel, and now it's time to introduce the panel um, and uh, uh, just sort of go through these and other questions that you may have about, about the board. So, um, yeah, please, would you? So, uh, and if Joshua Newman walks in, we'll put him up there too. Right? So, uh, uh, the panel um, includes Mike Les Miller. Hi. Right? Um, so. Uh, Go, yeah, well, I'll let you introduce yourself. So, Michael, no, Michael, tell us about yourself. <laughs> Who am I, Bill? Um, <laughs> I, can, I can do it. I, I know. Uh, about you. Just uh, pull one out and look at your power. Yes, so I, I was uh, somewhat involved in independent publishing before I found The Forge. Um, um, I was a co-author of a game called Fulminata that we published in 2000. Thank you, Clark. Um, and um, I found The Forge, and I, I discovered The Forge and looking around in 2001, joined up in 2002, um, was a... Uh, customer at the the first Forge booth in 2002, uh, Gen Con 2002, and staffed the booth from 2003 to 2006. Um, helped uh, my connections on the Forge are the reason why uh, I founded the Indie Games Explosion here at uh, Dexcon Dreamation. Um, yeah. Great. So. And uh, next panel is Brennan Taylor. Hi, I'm Brennan Taylor. I'm the proprietor of Galileo Games, and. Uh, <clears throat> I ran into the Forge somewhere around the same time as you. I think you were there just a little bit before me. Could be. Um, but somewhere around the 2002 area uh, is when I first got on board with the Forge. And uh, I had been publishing since the mid-90s uh, under my own uh, you know, uh, independent publishing company. And then uh, somewhere around, I guess, 2003, I founded Indie Press Revolution as a fulfillment and uh, 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 direct, you know, direct to customer storefront for indie publishers. And then the Forge booth, I partnered with the Forge booth to run the booth with, through Indie Press Revolution in, uh, I think, 2005, somewhere around there. I think it was 2006. It was 2006? Yeah. Yeah. I think so.
and I discovered this incredible intellectual culture of really dissecting games at, at the level that I understood, and um, and I became a obsessive lurker. I never posted once because of reason. Maybe some reasons are intelligible to you, but I, I definitely felt like an imposter and just lurked. But uh, later on, I moved to Western Mass and you know, game to all the forge people, so I feel like part of that history. And then the, like, the second uh, leg of this, besides continuing Michael's legacy with uh, Indie Games Explosion with the uh, Games on Demand and Origins and Gen Con, which we still like as an organization are called Indie Games Explosion, so that hasn't gone away. Um, I wrote the textbook chapter on RPG theorizing for um, the, the, what do we what's it called? The well, the RPG studies uh, Transmedia Foundation. It's a book that's coming out with with Rutledge. So having gone through a lot of the Forge archives recently, I think I, that that's what qualifies me again to talk about them again. So the panelists can't see the questions behind them on the screen, so I'm just gonna. So it's gonna be a mystery. Oh. It's gonna be a surprise for us. So, um, so we can't those, see it. But, the, but I, I hope that these questions would, would sort of structure uh, our discussion. And the first one is the broadest one, and you can sort of chip in. Uh, so that question is, what did you learn from the Forge? Did it help you as a player, game designer, or publisher? And so I'll just throw that question out there uh, and uh, see how people want to respond to that. Um, what what yeah. did you learn? Yes. Yes. Next question. So tell us what? No. So it helped me both as a player and as a game designer. Um, as a publisher, also, there was a lot of publishing advice on there. But uh, as a player and game designer, the up until that point, I had been a very traditional game designer. Um, and I was sort of reworking stuff that I had already played and hadn't really broken myself out of the pattern of the games that I was familiar with. That Legend of Yell? Legend of Yore. Yore. Yes. Yore. Yeah. Legend of Yeld is a different game. <laughs> but the Legend of Yore was a fantasy, what, the, what they call the, uh, Ron called a fantasy heartbreaker, which I published in the mid-90s. And uh, that was, you know, published before uh, the, the uh, print-on-demand revolution in publishing. So I ended up with a whole bunch of copies of it sitting in my garage. Um, but I was working on another game when I got to the forge, and it really sort of just blew my blew my mind, opened me up to a whole bunch of possibilities, and I threw everything out the door and started from scratch. And so that's what that's where it came to me for, as a publisher. Okay, that. Uh, that was Mortal Coil. That was Mortal Coil. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, um, yeah. So um, the forge uh, helped me as a player, as a game designer, and as a publisher. Um, um, as a publisher, we'll just go very straightforward. Um, the, the first game I was involved with was Fulminata, which what predates the Forge. Fulminata, yes. And uh, is ancient Rome with guns. And um, like Brennan, we had a large print run, you know, 1,000 copy print run. And we sort of got stuck with some unreliable partners in the early days of internet marketing. And um, money did not go where it was supposed to go. And um, the ethos of the forge of you know the publisher the creator should be in control of their own product yeah absolutely um and the transparency of learning from other people's stories yeah. um really helped me when i published my later games that um 
you know, I never had another thousand copy print run, but I got paid for every copy. So, <laughs> um, I consider it a win. Yeah. Um, as a game, to, as a player, the just the the um, notion of creative agenda um, helped me to understand um, my own experience of I have fun playing these kind of games with these kind of people when I'm in that kind of mindset, and I shouldn't necessarily try to get all my friends to play all the same game because all my friends like different things, and that's okay. Um, and being able to identify that and go, oh, well, this sort of... Even though... Before The Forge, uh, I thought of games largely in terms of genre, as a lot of people do. And not every superhero game is the same just because it's a superhero game. Uh, when you get it down, are people more interested in the soap opera? Or are they more interested in how many hit points their, their power blast can do? That kind of thing. Um, and as game designer, um, knowing that that idea that that players like those uh, those sorts of experiences, the story now, the step on up, the uh, right to dream, you can make design decisions um, catered to that, um, and it gives you a direction to go. Uh, and I never would have thought of all that without the forge. And also learning from other people's mistakes. Yes. So some of the things that oh right. So some of the things that taught me were stuff that is really, really obvious, except that I've never thought of it before. Like, oh, wow, yeah, we gave it for different reasons. And, oh, wow, yeah, maybe I'm gaming for three or four different reasons at the same time. Oh, wow, yeah, maybe I'm playing a lot where I'm having a lot of fun emoting, but, gee, I just got everything that humanity wants, and it's like the jackpot raining down on me, and this is pure gamism, and I'm actually enjoying it. Okay, cool. It also taught me stuff that I knew but didn't know I knew. There was this uh, one bizarre discussion because I was like being really, really slow um, where Ron was saying, yeah, yeah, you just made an arm out there. No, 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 I just I made it up that there's this father and the son who are doing these things. Yeah, that's an arm out. Wait, 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 that's an arm out? Yes, Lisa, that's an arm out. Can we move on? Wait, wait, that's an arm out? Cinema 
was uh, Godard and Truffaut and all these French New Wave directors um, looking at fairly mediocre Hollywood films and saying, well, this film was terrible, but it has this tracking shot and half an hour in that is gorgeous. And uh, The Forge then did the same thing for, for me in role-playing game mechanics. So suddenly it opened up, uh, you know, um, over the edge, whispering ball, just all these, this kind of back catalog of, of um, role-playing games that may or may not have had certain flaws, but then had specific mechanical decisions that um, we can uh, evaluate um, along specific criteria. And that was just monumental for me. It opened up all of RPG history, especially because most of RPG publishing at the time when the Forge was, was, here's our latest news, Black Buck, you should buy it. And that was always the message, and not, here's a thing from 1978 that is interesting because it had, does this, this thing mechanically. And so that, that's why I talk about the Kaidi Cinema movement, where we can actually take a look at the larger history of RPGs and sort of disinterestedly um, look at the content and mechanics. Um, but then I'm also a convention GM, and uh, RPGs are horribly inefficient, right? I mean, just looking at how many games where you know you have some GM's meticulous plan, and then you know they would tell us uh, the final ten minutes about all the cool stuff that we missed because we spent so much time in combat. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ! Can we please get to the end of the game at the end of the game? Uh, and at the end of the, of the slot, and you know, I had all these kind of jeering GM techniques, but I'm like, what, what if you built that into the design of the game itself? I mean, of course, these sort of obvious things, but they were not obvious at the time, and they weren't a general RPG practice and trade at the time, designing for the actual social time and, and spatial components of what you're doing. Or even the idea that, you know, if you write a game with rules, those rules should actually, you know, work, and you shouldn't have to house rule something. That's all for me. Great. So uh, I want to open up the, the I mean, I, I have other questions, but I'm sure the audience has questions as well or things that they're interested in hearing or hearing about. So uh, let's take a moment and see if there are audience questions before proceeding to the next uh, official question. Anything people want to know or want to talk about? Or should we just drive on? I think uh, one of the things uh, that's not really up there, it, it kind of is, uh, for a lot of us, uh, we were happy. Right. Um, so, like, stuff we learned from the Forge helped us look at the games we were playing and be like, what if we add this cool thing in, see what that does? Um, and, you know, it's all stuff that we grabbed from the Forge and just were sticking into our games willy-nilly and see what happens. So, kind yeah. of in the game designer form, but not a whole game, just a, a little <coughs> So, 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 you, so, Buddha, if I'm understanding your, your, your question or comment, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it actually speaks to something interesting, which is the whole notion of, um, you know, uh, what does it mean to be a game designer, right? Which, which you know, it's, uh, uh, in some forms, uh, you know, that, that led to all sorts of social comparisons or things like that, or are you a real designer? But even, you know what I mean? Like, you have to back into that sort of like social comparison thing. But just the notion that um, anyone can design a game in the form that they want, even if that's just designing a game for themselves, for their friends, and so hacking games like that. Is that, is that sure. Okay. Uh, and would you also, um, now I'm going to put words in your mouth, um, but 
that the, the particular forge culture sort of formed a hothouse of people coming up with all kinds of ideas at the time, and thus it was a fruitful uh, place for you to, to, to pick ideas that would suit your particular group. Yeah, I mean, it gave, gave us a language to talk about this stuff. Absolutely, right. yeah. The, uh, the, the general language of the theory that was being discussed there, that, that kind of is what got me thinking along those lines, you know, because I, I'd been sort of in those narrow, in this narrow slot of yeah. like, this is how role-playing games work. And then people talking, uh, you know, taking it down to those big model, uh, you know, breaking out the big model and, and taking it down to those deep theory discussions. And I was suddenly like, oh, so there's like this whole realm of possibility. It's not just, you know, it's not just uh, you, you roll your, uh, your you, you have your combat system, you have your, uh, your character generation system, you have your, right. uh, yeah. So, yeah, kind of following up on that, just because you mentioned Mortal Coil, yeah. I'm curious what for you were the very more like, specific forged things when you looked at them and like, crap, this is, this is what my game well, basically, what happened with Mortal Coil is I would, I had a whole system that I was that I had I had basically a house system that I was using for my fantasy game, and I was basically just reskinning it to do uh, Mortal Coil. And I realized like that's not what I want. the The point of Mortal Coil is not the what this system is doing, right? the The system itself was leading to a type of play that wasn't what I was actually after, and that is where. Uh, that's where the forge theory really sort of opened my eyes and I realized I had to sort of just tear it all down and, and work from scratch to get it to do what I wanted, which was an entirely different kind of thing than what, uh, than what the fantasy game was doing. You also got games, really known games, starting with that. I mean, I think this maker said that Don't Sin Vineyard started as his idea of a sorcerer hack. Um, and I know monsters and other childish things, you, you can see the bones of sorcerer there, but they are their own games, they're doing very different things. Right, and um, you know, prior to 2003, a lot of people thought that an RPG does not end was definitional. Was, that's what an RPG is, that's what differentiates it from other different kinds of games. And then My Life with Master comes along and says, no, this is how the game ends. And suddenly, within a couple years, you have all kinds of what, what, what's the, what sort of fruitful game design can we get from the idea of the game ends and how it ends? Right, and so that was just one idea that everyone else could build off of um, that, yeah, that came out of the, the hothouse. Well, and then one thing I was going to say was the advent of the scene framing game, which I definitely, yes. Yes. This, this is the thing that predates Apocalypse World, but. It was wildfire after my, my life was master, right? 2004 to 2010, every game was, let's frame a scene, let's meta level, talk about it, about what, what's going to go into the scene, and then, what was it? Let's set stakes. Yep. Yep, so those are the conversations. Because Primetime Adventures works so well, so everyone can, yep. can do it now. Right. Jason has a question. Yeah, so uh, related to that, actually, uh, and I'm interested in all of, all of your thoughts on this, this sort of two-part thing. Uh, so that speaks to a design orthodoxy that develops. Yes. Uh, you, can yes. Look at, you can look at games from different eras, uh, 2005, 2007, and be like, oh, yeah, this is a Forge game. This came out of the Forge. And right. I'm interested in why that is when, uh, it, at least in theory, the form was set up to democratize uh, game design. And what ended up happening, in my opinion anyway, is that you, you got this orthodoxy developing. And I'm wondering how that relates to not only culture of design discourse on the site, 
but the culture of discourse within the individual fora there. Because in my experience, there's quite difference if you were in actual play and if you were in the design and development or the theory uh, forums. They were people were talking in different ways to different people about different things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks. I think that's part of why they always had an end strategy. As you said, there was always a plan, we will shut the forge down when we have accomplished X, because otherwise everything else dies. Yeah, and I, I definitely fell prey to that orthodoxy when, yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. so like, it, it, it uh, going to the forge like opened my eyes uh, to a whole new way of game design and then I fell into that sort of pattern of game design for a little while um, but it wasn't uh, it, it, it was I think it was you know like all movements end up with orthodoxies <laughs> as part of the problem but uh, I, I also don't I don't think I was in an, enough diversity of forums for on the forge to actually see the different sides Right, I was mostly in the publishing area is where uh, I, I, I lurked most of the time. And I never was because I didn't publish games. Right. Yeah, I mean, design orthodoxy was, was real thick. I mean, I mean, in terms of the scene framing, setting stakes games, and a game called Fiasco was sort of the apotheosis <laughs> of that. Um, yeah, and, and really, he said, here's, here's how to do this in the slickest possible fashion you know, kind of channeling the player energies in a specific direction, and no one could really top that. And, and I think that, uh, or, or, or rather, there are other games at the same time, like I'm thinking of Emily Care Bosses Under My Skin, that both are within that orthodoxy, but point towards where design then went, right? And, um, you know, yeah, or the seeds of apocalypse world being like in inspectors and these sort of odd places where we didn't, you know, we, we thought we we thought that was all played out, and, and what we didn't realize is that a lot of force theory needed to be done very simply and player accessibly, and was not. And said it was it was it was being done within the church of forge games, as we said. Right. Do you have yeah. some insights on that? Or you do, let no, go first. No, 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 no. Go, okay. go ahead. Yeah, another thing, from a player point of view, that's very frustrating, but also inevitable. I'm just learning the game you did two or three years ago because, you know, I, I just finished the game that somebody else did five or ten years ago. You're bored with it already. You're moving on. You have to be moving on because you're a designer. I'm going, but, but, but don't tell me that the game I'm playing is crap. I just found it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there was one point on the forge in some form or other where I scratched my head because I'm hearing three different contradictory things. I don't even remember if they were from the same people or different people. I, I don't really much care because it's water under the bridge. One was sorcerer is brilliant and it's for everybody. One is sorcerer is for those special people who just get in and help the rest of you. And one is sorcerer is old hat time to move on. I'm like, oh, guys, these can all be true in the same way at the same time. Um, but yeah, there was very much an orthodoxy, but there was also, I think, an awareness to at least some extent that there was such an orthodoxy. Um, I had a conversation with Mike Holmes, lovely guy, and he said, okay, you're getting yourself too wrapped up in Ron. Fuck Ron. No, 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 seriously. Great guy, but move on. And, <laughs> 
he told me about a white woman game that he played, and I realized a couple of things. One was, oh my God, you poor guy, you and your champ played the game the way it was written. Why did you do that? <laughs> the other was, yeah, I think I just proved Ron's point there. Mm-hmm. Which was, if you're going to get into that situation by playing the game as lies, the game has betrayed you, has let you down. And the other was, oh, that much of forged thinking is to a degree a reaction to that. Okay, now I understand a lot better where the forge is coming from and why it's not where I was coming from. Because I look at that and go, Oh yeah, that's why I love doing it. Saying we're just going to fix that there, and then not thinking about well, but why does White Wolf do that? Why does anyone do that? Why aren't we moving on from that already? Uh, yeah, I um, just wanted to. Uh, address Jason's uh, um, question about orthodoxy. Yes, orthodoxy developed, and part of it is because that first um, phase was about building a culture, um, and though the culture was based around discussion and fomenting ideas, you still had to develop um, a shared language that you could talk about these things, otherwise you're not really community, and plus then the community is made of people, people like other people, and so when we're designing, Yes, we want to design a game that lots of people will like to play, but also we want to design a game that our friends would like to play. That when we open up the box at the Forge booth, well, you know, we, everyone will ooh and ah just because that's, it, it becomes another audience. I think at best there was a, a culture of making games to prove a point uh, from right. the yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and didn't you write a meta game about the Forge at one point? I did for, <laughs> for the last Game Chef that was on the Forge. Um, it, it was crazy unplayable, but you, you, you played posters on the Forge, uh, and you had to like go back and read old threads and things because that's what you have to do. Yeah, go read the threads. I will say, I think what broke me out of that, like because I, like like I was saying, I I was in the traditional game design space, then I was in the Forge Orthodoxy design space, and when I was designing how we came to live here, I was trying to do something using a Forge Orthodoxy and it didn't work, and so then I was like, oh, I can just ditch this too. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Uh, so, I was wondering if you could speak to the governance structure behind Forge because of the seemingly uh, competing principles of creator-owned, we are all having our own voices, and the slightly less democratic uh, governance structure that I was seeing from the Forge, at least in the end days. So I was wondering if there could be discussion of how governance impacted the community and the designs that came out of it. I, yeah, I mentioned with yeah. Pass to say that um, I've got a lot of those threads and I can, I can speak to that if, if uh, anyone's yeah. interested. Um, yeah, so um, uh, let me see. I mean, uh, a lot of time, you know, the, uh, the, the forge was, was Ron and Clinton. I mean, that was, that was Clinton's server and Ron, uh, Ron's idea. And they were not the same person. Yeah. Right. This right. is important. And right, they weren't. And they had disagreements. And, and, and the governance structure was Ron and Clinton, and then Ron and Vincent uh, talked about where the port was headed, what was happening, what, was, what the purpose was, right, and what the what the um, and what the best procedures, protocols, and structures were to achieve those ends. And so um, uh, and so. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. I'm not a Mac user. Which one? There we go. There we go. And we were all very technically savvy on the forge. So, um, Right. So, I can take a spreadsheet. <laughs> so in the in the spring, right, it was very much um, so, uh, the force is not talking about the big model, right? Was, and, and and so uh, and there was some discussion. Okay, so we like the earliest discussion was we need a second forum to talk about theory in more depth uh, after people have been introduced to GNNs, right? So that was that was the structure. But in terms of the governance, right, um, the the governance was moderation, right, and it was in these early early days that the, the Forge moderation policies were sort of hashed out, right? The, the idea that um, uh, we don't ban anybody, right? No banning, um, uh, but we close threads. And closing threads, we will close a thread, right? And split a thread uh, when the conversation is done and instead of going off topic in a thread, we split off that new thread. And that's not a punishment, that's just an organizational thing. You never have to say you're sorry that the thread has been closed or the thread has been split because that's just a structural thing. It's just to keep things organized, right? And, and that notion of, uh, at least that you were talking about, Ron was very good about saying move on, that was part of the moderation, right? That was sort of this notion of moderation. As, as we move forward, right, um, uh, Ron, uh, I, I talked to Ron at Gen Con and he told me a long story about Synanon, the um, Al-Anon-based drug rehab program as a commune, right? And I think there was a way of talking, because he was speaking to the Forge as an intentional community, right? The idea that, that you know, people who come together for a purpose, um, and people come and people go, um, but the management of that, of that can't be in the hands of an elite group of insiders. So he said, whenever I saw an elite forming, I would kill it. <laughs> Right? That's why he killed the theory forums. Jason's shaking his head like that's great. I couldn't roll my eyes more. That's what he told me. I would kill it. I would kill it. So I'm interested in your reaction to that. I'm interested in your reaction to that. I would kill it. Right? That that was a, that was the purpose for. And I wish uh, uh, Josh was here to talk about the Ford booth and his experience there, um, because he, you know there was a point at which you couldn't be, you know, you two two years and out at the Ford booth. Right, two years and then you had to graduate, right? And part of that was to avoid, right, the phenomenon that I saw people uh, like being really like like um, uh, engaged in social comparison with each other over, um, you know, how many how many sales we made and things like that, right? right. So 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 Jason, I think that speaks to your notion of the governance structure, right? Can't get it, around that. You know, in a way, in a way, I'm listening to Ron and going, you know what? He's kind of like Paul Watt did. Because, like, he's seen the vision, right? He could, right? Like, lead the jihad or whatever, but he's going, no, 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 we should. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I just thought that was funny. I, mm. I, I seriously think that. Was, uh, anyway, um, but, but um, yeah, so there were very deliberate decisions made, and maybe, as, as Jason head shaking, like, wrong headed decisions, and, and the notion of boards of brands is something that, that um, you know, Still argue about, and you have opinions about this, don't you? Right? Because remember, you think that you think that the Forge booth, you think that the uh, 
Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, but I mean, that's what, 10 years ago now? 10 years ago, right. Um, and I, mean, yeah. I was going to say also, Clinton, uh, Ron, and Vincent all had, I would say, extremely intense engagements with religion, right, in some capacity. And, and, and so when you're talking about various commune and other organizational models, each of them have their own idea of, of, of belief and spirituality and something that I think also tied into how they then um, saw the greater role of the forge. And, and, and so it's, it's something you can read between the lines, the sort of philosophy and, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know where, where to go farther than that, but it, it's this interesting red thread of like, a lot of people who I see as being very engaged in RPG design also have huge thoughts about religion for some yeah. reason. But, yeah, which is, which is it. and it's interesting, right? That, that some of the best books and essays about our role-playing games have been written by religious studies scholars. Yes. Right? I think of the Laycock book. Yeah. Like, there's this book called, like, it's got Daniel Laycock, who's a religious Joseph. scholar. What's that? Joseph Laycock. Joseph Laycock, yeah. right? Who's um, a religious studies scholar what, somewhere in Texas, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He he, he studies uh, you know actual vampires and um, I mean he's, he's like embedded with the Christian fundamentalists and you know and, and checks in on them every now and then. I mean he really. But he wrote a book called, called Dangerous Games, uh, and it's about the what the moral panic over role playing games uh, says about religion in the United States. It's really interesting and well worth reading. But there's also the, the Christopher Laren essay on the Forge, and he's a religious studies scholar. He talks about liminality and rituality. And Sitting there on the forge, and it's 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 actually quite good. It's dense. It's quite dense. <laughs> well, that's good. Anyway, go ahead. Someone wants to say something. Yeah, there I mean, was Jason, also. Wait. I just want to make sure, Jason. That answer your question. Uh, what do you want to hear more? The the element is all the games have been in conversation with each other, but on the when there's strong, you must be this. You can only talk about AP. You can, yes. You can't talk theory. You're not allowed to talk about that except through your designing of games. And right. that that kind of right. centrally managed direction of where the conversations could go. Religion. Yes. <laughs> right. 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 And then, I mean, uh, wait a second. Uh, um, I mean, the the explanation for that is what I've just right, said. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Uh, so. Um, and but when I hear you say, well, that had an impact that felt a little onerous or a little oppressive or something. Right. Or something like Jason, I, if you want to say something about that, I think. I'm good. You should. <laughs> <laughs>
band in a form that I could not you had, you had said earlier something, and this is something I'm actually interested in, like uh, something that I've heard, right, that, that I'd like more specifics about, which is, oh yeah, we could design games, but games would be designed to argue, to make arguments. Uh, are there specific examples of that that people are familiar with? Are there any games that's... that's uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, so tell me about those. Uh, there, there's there's games where people had a point in in uh, you know in in one of the design theories and they made a game that that uh, illustrated that I, I would honestly say like blood red sands is one of those it, okay oh, yeah. yeah that's that that is a game about uh, how to do competition in games that's right. yeah <coughs> yeah universalis I think yeah universalis also, yeah, yeah. Um, Another no, another no, Ralph no, Mazza no, joint, no. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. um, the Prince's Kingdom, yeah. Right. Nonviolent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A Thousand One Nights is, is an argument about uh, the defetishization of this dice and die result. I agree with you, yeah. actually, because, and that's honestly one of the reasons I think that Ron was moving towards the actual play side of things, because that, you know, I, I mean, the, the emphasis on actual play was where all, all my emphasis was anyway. Like, I was looking at those game designs and reading those games, and that's where I was getting all my theory. I wasn't really getting it from the, the theory form, just like you, so. Right, so shutting yeah. down the theory forms yeah. was to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I'm sure. He did actually, it for I, you, Jason. I honestly think Ron felt it that way about it. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you could you could say that the uh, design conversations that these days happen between Powered by the Apocalypse hacks are the the the, the continuation of that legacy. In a, in, a, in a different yeah, form. In a yeah. sad way? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, because I think that the iteration that's happening is pretty trivial, given the, the right. potential for that framework. Yeah. Um, and what Agreed. we um, for the RPG theorizing book, that, that, or the RPG theorizing chapter for the role-playing studies book, I, I had to go through sort of RPG theorizing from the late 60s to the present, and a lot of that RPG theory on the Forge was not very um, revolutionary, because they, they were actually rehashing 60s and 70s conversations with highfalutin language, that, but I thought that was important. And one thing it, it, that the Forge gave to me was the idea of a creative community and a creative process, however flawed that was. And uh, we've done other creative communities since then and, um, and learned what not to do from the Forge in some ways. But then also, um, watching this do what he does, but, uh, but, but specifically um, that, that moment of like, oh, people were talking about player motivation in 1970. They, they, they then had the same player motivation conversation five or six years later, and then there was the same book player motivation uh, conversation on RGFA, and, and, and you see the iteration over time, but it's over decades. So when people were participating in their theory discussions, 
without that context, people reinvent the wheel all the time, and theory becomes very, very boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's either Jesper Jewell or Espinar said one of the digital game study scholars who said something like, uh, uh, the study of games is a perpetually lost art. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I want to say that, that that ties into something I, I, I know a lot of people who are who are not there for the board who have, who have come to game design later. Um, something that they encounter or have encountered with people who are on the board is this whole like, oh, we, we double dot on the board. Yeah. <laughs> and that. Go and read the threads. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So people were irritated by that when the forge was around. Forge yes. Yeah, yeah, ab oh, yeah. absolutely. London is incensed. Yeah. One of the things that, that, that happened on the forge was periodically somebody would ask all the same questions and open run or someone would go, oh, yeah, that answers the same questions again. Only the point of swearing you understand. Um, and one point I said, well, you know, I kind of stumbled into this and knowing what I was doing, what would have been really helpful for me is just one page, here's what we're here to do. No, this is our space, we don't have to do that. Okay. Where was that? Where, where, would, where, would, where would you see that? Where would that, would that be in threads? Um, I don't remember which thread, but it was obviously on the forge, so therefore it had to be in some thread or other. Um, I tend to hang out mostly in AP. Um, I would often go over to Vincent Baker's thread because they post to towns. Lots and lots of dogs in many towns. Um, but yeah, no, you don't have to do this. This is your space, but if you're saying you're getting the same questions over and over and you're sick, well, no, wait, I'm not having this discussion. You won't go anywhere. Yeah, there was a lot of self censorship, but. At the same time, I never felt that I was treated any differently than anyone who published a game. I never felt that anyone was condescending to me, um, anyone unleashing bone barrels on me. I knew because I'd seen. They would do that to anyone. To counter that, Lisa, I think that my impression is that there were a lot of people who came once, maybe posted once, and then were like, okay, I'm out. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of oh, course yeah. it is. There yeah. was gatekeeping. Yeah. I'm just saying, I do not think I was treated in any bad manner. I want to speak to Shane's question. Gatekeeping more generally, either during or after? Well, I mean, I, the, 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 the idea that once questions were discussed and answered that they didn't want to do that again was gradually more and more prohibitive because right. there was a bigger and bigger body of work that you had to already yeah. know, right? And that's that's really what uh, I think a lot of the really negative reaction to the forge comes from some of that because the, you know people are like, look, I didn't come here to read 20 essays, right? I came here to talk about games. And so that, I think that definitely was the, the hostile environment that people encountered when they got there, you know? Right, and I mean, we were reading the Forge for five years while while it was going on, right? And so someone comes late to the party, and part of the the, the instinctive reaction is just, well, you know, we did that um, when 
I think a more constructive thing would have been, well, you know, we talked about, uh, we had some things about uh, scene framing. Have you played Primetime Adventures? Have you played Fiasco? Um, these are ways that are much more accessible for you to get your feet under you um, and so that we can have meaningful conversation. Um, so, um, in the last days of the Forge, there were some efforts to kind of create tools, guides to the archive, uh, other things like that, to, um, to, I don't know, try to preserve some of these insights or do sort of things right. that you're saying. Um, none of that stuff ever seemed to get off the ground, or did it? I mean, are there, I, uh, there's, I don't know. Is there, are there? I don't think so. Um, because or or something. yeah, I mean, there there were efforts at that, but by that point, who's gonna read it, right? I mean, where's the audience? Um, it was important that the games were speaking for themselves at that point. Dogs in the Vineyard was in print. Um, Shock. All these these games were coming out, and people were playing them, seeing the mechanics in action, and ignoring all the stuff that they saw was BS. And I think that uh, right. you know. Even though some of us thought that, you know, this is yes, this is RPG theory. So you know, now now I'm, I think, oh, the, you know, the designs began to speak to for themselves in that summer autumn sort of boundary, and then there there wasn't any need for for you to engage in hostile internet conversation. I mean, good lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was running sorcery, one of my players. Went on to the Forge Forum a couple of times and I was like, exactly as you said, nope, they're all assholes there. Mm. I'm done. And he said, Does that like so much better when you stop reading the Forge? Mm. I think it's about 9.58, we're at yeah, so far now. Uh, so, in the last two minutes, are there uh, 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 final questions that anyone would like to address or panelists, final things you want to say about the Forge? Hey, let's do it this way uh, a lightning round, Forge, good thing or bad thing? Good thing. Oh, good. Good and wild horses couldn't drive me back. <laughs> good, definitely. Good thing. Good. Yeah. I think I think some really amazing stuff came from there. Cool. Right. Absolutely. All right. Rather than um, rather than drag things out, I just want to thank our panelists for. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm not moving. Oh, there you go.